Chapter 8 of Immortality and the Unseen World by W. O. E. Westerly. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Living and the Departed. Chapter 8 Ancestor Worship and the Cult of the Dead. It is impossible, when dealing with the subject of immortality in the Old Testament, to avoid some consideration of the strange old-world custom of worshipping the departed. 1. The Origin of Ancestor Worship How ancestor worship and the cult of the dead originally arose is a difficult question, and authorities differ in their views on the subject. The materials for its study are abundant, but the interpretation of the data is a different matter. Of one thing there can be no doubt, Ancestor worship was a development. What it developed from is, again, a question upon which opinions differ. But Jevon makes out a convincing case for his contention that the natural demonstrations of grief at the death of a relative were the original basis upon which, in the course of ages, the superstructure of ancestor worship and the cult of the dead was raised. The simplicity of this theory, remembering that we have to do with primitive man, strongly commends it. Having described the outbursts of sorrow against savages on the occasion of a death, Jevon says that while such quote, spontaneous demonstrations of affection, grief, and desire for reunion with the departed do not amount to worship, close quote, it is possible to trace from them the process by which they developed into ancestor worship. He maintains, quote, The first condition of any such development is that the demonstrations, at first spontaneous, should become conventional and harden into custom. When, then, it has become the tribal custom for relatives to perform certain acts on the occasion of a death, which were originally spontaneous, and now are the conventional expressions of grief, it becomes possible for fear to operate, in support of this as of other tribal customs, though it was not in fear that either it or they originated. When this demonstration of grief and of affection has become conventional, the neglect of it inevitably comes to be regarded as a want of respect to the deceased, and the performance of it is regarded no longer as a crude attempt to give fresh life to the deceased, but as something done to please him. Proceeding then to discuss the significance of offerings of food, hair, and blood, he points out that these, quote, are elements both of the rites for the dead and of the worship of the gods. But they do not together constitute ancestor worship. They are its elements, as yet, however, held in suspension and waiting for something to precipitate them. In other words, worship, in any proper sense of the word, implies worshippers, united either by the natural bond of blood or by the artificial bond of initiation. In the case of ancestor worship, the body of worshippers is supplied by the family and united by the natural bond of blood. 
when ancestor worship is established as a private cult it like other private cults is steadily assimilated in form in its rites and ceremonies to the public worship of the gods the animals which provided the food that the deceased originally was supposed to consume are now sacrificed according to the ritual observed in sacrificing animals to the gods when the assimilation of the rites for the dead to the ritual of the gods has proceeded thus far it naturally happens that in many cases some superhuman powers are ascribed to the spirits of the dead but it never happens that the spirits of the dead are conceived to be gods to speak of the gods as deified ancestors is to use an expression which covers some ambiguity of thought if what is implied is that in a community possessing the conception of divine personality certain ancestors are by some unexplained process raised to the rank of gods the statement may be true but it does not prove that the gods to whose rank the spirit is promoted were themselves originally ghosts which is the very thing that it is intended to prove what then are these gods either they are believed to be the ancestors of some of their worshippers or they are not if they are believed to be the ancestors of their worshippers then they are not believed to have been human the worshipper's pride is that his ancestor was a god and no mere mortal if on the other hand a god is not believed to be the ancestor of any of his worshippers then to assert that he was really a deified ancestor is to make a statement for which there is no evidence the fact is that ancestors known to have been human were not worshipped as gods and that ancestors worshipped as gods were believed not to have been human this last remark leads us to a generalization which though obvious is important it is that wherever ancestor worship exists it exists side by side with the public worship of the gods of the community the two systems develop on lines which are parallel indeed and therefore never meet whereas if they had moved on the same line of development one would have absorbed the other the whole of jevon's argument of which we have extracted the salient features is illuminating and explains many things in regard to our subject which would otherwise be puzzling among the israelites judging from the number of direct and indirect references in the old testament ancestor worship and the cult of the dead must at one time have been widely prevalent considering the polemic against them in the interests of yahweh worship considering also the fact that the books of the old testament were finally redacted by men who would have been interested in removing all traces of cult other than that of Yahweh worship from its pages it is surprising that we find as much reference to the subject there as is actually the case it is true that most of these references are contained in prohibitions 
which doubtless accounts for their having been permitted to remain there but it is just these very prohibitions which testify to the prevalence of the beliefs and rites connected with ancestor worship and the cult of the dead nothing however could illustrate more pointedly the belief in immortality than this conviction that men were able by various means to communicate with their departed relatives that there was endless superstition and crass folly and also doubtless some chicanery about it all must not blind us to the reality of the belief however mistaken and when all is said and done it is only right to remember that it contained one element at all events which later ages recognized as true namely that the departed were living in a real sense and were not the lifeless shades of sheol which for centuries the religious teachers taught was the case but before coming to the old testament it will be well to say a brief word again about babylonian belief and custom on the subject since as is well known israelite belief can in many ways be illustrated by the old culture of the lands that lay to the east two ancestor worship among the babylonians in speaking of ancestor worship tyler says that it is quote, one of the great branches of the religion of mankind he continues quote, its principles are not difficult to understand for they plainly keep up the social relations of the living world the dead ancestor now passed into a deity simply goes on protecting his own family and receiving suit and service from them as of old the dead chief still watches over his own tribe still holds his authority by helping friends and harming enemies still rewards the right and sharply punishes the wrong the earliest records in existence so far as is known in which definite reference is made to ancestor worship among the ancient babylonians witness to a stage of culture in advance of that presupposed by tyler in this quotation but they nevertheless bear out what he says examples of early babylonian rulers being deified and worshipped are those of sargon I and gudea they lived about thirty three hundred b c and in later days were regarded as great heroes of the past to whom divine honors were paid the same is true of dungi i who lived still earlier on tablets in which their names occur the determinative that is placed before the names of gods is put in front of their names festivals were celebrated in their honor and sacrifices were offered to them statues of them were placed in temples where they were worshipped in paying honor to deified kings and other great personages the sons and other descendants would but naturally and in accordance with an established rule take the lead and the people generally would share in the celebrations so that we have here instances firstly of ancestor worship in the strict sense of the word and secondly in its wider if looser signification as homage paid to the departed kings and fathers of the people 
in earlier ages we may be certain from the analogy of many other peoples that the same thing was done in the case of tribal chiefs before dynasties became established further quote, an ancient babylonian bronze tablet which represents a funeral scene exhibits the dead person lying on a bier attended by priests in fish-like garments with a stand for burning incense not far from the head of the bier in much later times we have the case of king ashurbanipal who reigned 668 through 626 bc appearing at the tombs of his ancestors with rent garments pouring out a libation in memory of the dead and addressing a prayer to them the offering of libations appears among the babylonians and assyrians to have been one of the most important rites in connection with the cult of the dead this was primarily the duty of the son of the departed who offered them regularly on the anniversary of the death of his father the day was known as the day of the festival of the dead the day of humiliation the day of wailing the day of mourning all these occur there was a special priest known as the pourer out of water who performed this rite on the inscription of ashurbanipal just referred to it is said quote, during the morning ceremony of offering libations for the spirits of my royal ancestors i put on mourning garments and accomplished an act of benevolence to god and men to the dead and to the living then there follows a prayer offered to his ancestors by the side of their tombs the same king tells of how he offered a sacrifice of vengeance on the spot where sennacherib his grandfather was murdered he tells how he here sacrificed a number of prisoners of war in honor of his ancestor these are only a few examples but the evidence so far as it goes shows clearly that even in historical times the cult of the dead and the element of ancestor worship formed more or less distinctly part of the babylonian and assyrian religious observances Quote, as regards deification of deceased ancestors sacrifices in the proper sense of the word and festivals held in honor of the dead the clear evidence as was to be expected relates to the ruling families only it may by analogy with the religious development of other races be assumed that ancestor worship and the cult of the dead were more prevalent in prehistoric times than later on three ancestor worship in the old testament ancestor worship as distinct from the cult of the dead is not prominent in the old testament this is what we should expect traces of its having once existed in ancient israel are however not wanting but even if there were not the slightest trace of it there two considerations would justify us in believing that it was at one time practiced by the israelites first its practically universal existence among all peoples in a certain stage of culture 
there is no reason to suppose that the ancient israelites were an exception to this rule and secondly its wide prevalence at the present day in syria the most pronounced trace it would be no exaggeration to call it proof in the old testament of the existence of ancestor worship among the ancient israelites is the fact that many of the ancestral graves were holy sites that is sanctuaries thus the grave of sarah the cave of machpelah which was before mamre in hebron genesis chapter twenty three was a sanctuary as is shown in genesis chapter thirteen verse eighteen and abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of mamre which are in hebron and built there an altar unto Yahweh. This is shown further in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, where it is said that Yahweh appeared there. Theophanies took place only on holy sites. The two latter passages, which belong to the earlier document called J, speaks of the oaks of Mamre, while the first, which is from the document P, and much later, belonging to a time when Yahweh worship was fully established, leaves out all mention of the oaks or oak. The reason is that by this time holy trees were regarded as heathenish and incompatible with Yahweh worship. A holy tree was in ancient Israel one of the necessary adjuncts to an altar. So too in the case of Deborah, rebecca's nurse she was buried under the oak and the name of it was called alon bakot that is the oak of weeping genesis chapter thirty five verse eight also joseph's grave in shechem joshua chapter twenty four verse thirty two for according to genesis chapter twelve verse six and chapter thirty five verse four this sanctuary was also marked by a holy tree in the case of Miriam's grave, Hadesh, Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, the name itself, which means holy, shows that it was a sanctuary. Moreover, from Judges chapter 4, verse 11, it is clear that a holy oak stood here too. Another thing which proves that a grave was a place of worship is when a pillar is set up on the site, for this too, in ancient Israel, was one of the adjuncts to an altar. In Genesis chapter 35 verse 20, we read of Rachel's grave that Jacob set up a pillar upon her grave. The same is the pillar of Rachel's grave unto this day. It was evidently a well-known spot from 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 2. There can be no doubt that in all these cases the graves were places of worship at which an ancestor was at one time worshipped, but which, in later days, were adapted to the worship of Yahweh. The same is, in all probability, true of a number of other graves of ancestral heroes, though the Hebrew text does not imply this as in the cases cited above. Such are Timnath Serah, Joshua chapter 19 verse 50, chapter 24 verse 30, Timnath Herez, 
in Judges chapter 2 verse 9, the burial place of Joshua, Shamir, where Tola was buried, Judges chapter 10 verse 2, Hamon, where Yair was buried, Judges chapter 10 verse 5, Bethlehem, the burial place of Ibzan, Judges chapter 12 verse 10, Ajalon, the burial place of Elon, Judges chapter 12 verse 12, Piraton, the burial place of Abdon, Judges chapter 12 verse 15, the spot between Zorah and Eshtaol, where they buried Samson, Judges chapter 16 verse 31. In all these cases, as Moore rightly points out, quote, we are probably to infer that the tomb of the eponymous ancestor of the clan was in later times shown. Close quote. Judging from the analogy of the other cases referred to above, we are justified in believing that these were sanctuaries, and if so, then the ancestors of the different clans were worshipped there. For Ancestor Worship in Syria at the Present Day what has been said receives interesting and instructive confirmation from the belief and practices of the peoples of Palestine and Syria generally, as well as Arabia, at the present day. It is a well-established fact, proved by numberless examples, that customs and beliefs studying the religious and social customs of the native dwellers of Syria and Arabia have shown in their writings where detailed proofs are given, that when one once gets off the beaten track of travellers and penetrates into the central parts of Arabia, into the wilder parts of Syria and into Mesopotamia, the conditions of life, the tribal and social customs, and above all the religious beliefs and practices, are today very much the same as they were millennia before the Christian era. One of the most recent and learned of these travelers writes in a work the importance of which is widely recognized. Quote, the simplicity of the Semitic mind accounts for the survival of ancient customs which have been handed down from the remotest antiquity, notwithstanding the teachings of Islam and Christianity. To the Arab or Syrian, custom is mightier than right. Indeed, Custom is the only right he knows. Both morality and religion depend on it. The heavens might sooner fall than custom be set aside. If we can get to the usage of the Semite, we shall know what his religion is. Some reference to what this observer and writer says about ancestor worship at the present day will throw much light on the Old Testament passages on the subject just referred to. Says Curtis, quote, Among most sects of Muslims and Christians, including Bedouins as well as Syrians, the worship of saints exists. In the popular imagination, they exercise a power far above that of God. These saints are really departed spirits connected with some particular shrine, chosen because they revealed themselves there in times past, and where they are wont to reveal themselves now to those who seek their favor. 
There is a close connection between the ordinary spirit of the departed and that of the saint, quote, who is supposed to possess superior sanctity and power. Every shrine, of whatever sort, theoretically presupposes a veli, or saint. He may have lived within the memory of the generation that does him honor, and many tales may have been preserved in regard to him. Or he may be a mythical character, about whom a profusion of folklore has sprung up. They are firmly believed to appear to many of their worshippers. The extraordinarily vivid imagination of the Eastern, coupled with the colossal ignorance regarding many a simple natural phenomenon, are responsible for the conviction among numbers of these mentally primitive people that a saint has appeared to them in bodily form. Theoretically, these saints, quote, are worshipped in connection with the God of all the world. Practically, many people know no other God. Close quote. These saints are the spirits of men who used to be living on earth. The local shrines where these spirits of ancestors are supposed to take up their abode at certain times are, thus, of special interest in view of what we read about shrines connected with the name of an ancestor or a clan hero in the Old Testament. Of not less interest, as touching directly upon our subject, is the character of these shrines. And here again, Curtis gives us full information. There are, of course, many shrines which have been specially built in honor of some tribal chief or the like, but by far the greater number are not buildings. First among these are sacred stones. Here is an example. Quote, At Heri Aton, the last outpost for travelers making the journey to Palmyra, in the vineyard at the rear of the house of the governor of the town, is a prostrate pillar, by the side of which is a structure of mud about the size and shape of a straw beehive. On the side of this is a small hole, where the vessel is placed in which the oil that has been vowed is burned, when a vow is paid. The shrine consisting in this pillar is called by the Muslims Abu Rishna, and by the Christians Mar Rishna. It is in the honor of a saint of the sect of the Jacobites. The pillar is thought by the Syrian priest to mark the site of an ancient church. It is surrounded by a low wall, leaving an enclosure of about twenty feet square. The practices in making a vow and in payment of it are the same among the Muslims and the Christians. They come to the shrine and make their request. They also tie red and blue silk around the weeds in the enclosure as a sign to the saint that they want help. Payment is made in oil, which is burned at the altar. This is only one of many examples given by Curtis, to whom the reader must be referred. As in the case of sacred stones and rocks, so too the spirits of departed ancestors are believed to dwell close to certain springs and wells. These also, for that reason, 
partake of the nature of a shrine and are looked upon as sacred but as important as any of these shrines of ancestors are those marked by sacred trees which vividly recalls some of the old testament instances given above Quote, some of these are at shrines and are sacred merely as the property of the saint they are as inviolable as anything else that belongs to him or that has been put under his protection there are also many trees apart from shrines which are believed to be possessed by spirits to whom vows and sacrifices are made there is no doubt that in the minds of the people sacred trees are places where spirits reveal themselves other trees are looked upon as holy because some great man during his lifetime rested under them and it is believed that he is still present in the spirit there at certain times in some cases indeed he is supposed to take up his abode there permanently in all these cases these spots are sanctuaries where worship in one form or another is offered to a departed great one be he ancestor hero religious leader or what not five a further remnant of ancestor worship in the old testament another remnant of ancestor worship found in the old testament but in this case restricted to the royal family compare what was said above regarding babylonian usage is preserved in jeremiah chapter thirty four verse five where the prophet says in reference to zedekiah king of judah thou shalt not die by the sword thou shalt die in peace and with the burnings of thy fathers the former kings which were before thee so shall they make a burning for thee the incense offering to a departed monarch was thus customary in israel up to the end of the monarchy in second chronicles chapter sixteen verse fourteen again it is said of asa and they buried him in his own sepulchres which he had hewn out for himself in the city of david and laid him in the bed which was filled with sweet odours and diverse kind of spices prepared by the apothecary's art and they made a very great burning for him and once more in second chronicles chapter twenty one verse nineteen it is said of jehoram and it came to pass in process of time at the end of two years that his bowels fell out by reason of his sickness and he died of sore diseases and his people made no burning for him like the burning of his fathers it is quite probable that by the time chronicles was written the original meaning of this was not realized and that it would have been described merely as an act of respect for the departed king but it is well known how customs are continued long after their real signification has been forgotten and this is especially true of mourning customs these burnings for the dead were remnants of a time when incense offerings were offered in the firm belief in the continued life of the departed who was thus propitiated 
he was believed to be really present though invisible to those who stood before his body we are reminded of the words which occur in the descent of ishtar may the dead rise up from the underworld and smell the incense six the teraphim in about a dozen passages in the old testament mention is made of the teraphim the word from which this word comes means to nourish or to maintain its use in the plural form is somewhat analogous to elohim which can either mean god for example genesis chapter 1 verse 1 or gods for example deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 28 though as a rule the meaning is singular though the form is plural but unlike elohim teraphim occurs only in the plural from this fact we must assume that properly speaking the teraphim were several in number in first samuel chapter nineteen verses thirteen and sixteen in which a singular sense is implied michal had a special reason for putting only one image in the bed indeed the fact that in this case the plural and not the singular form is used shows that the word was only known and used in its plural form it is probable that the teraphim were of non-israelite origin for in genesis chapter thirty one verses twenty twenty four and forty seven laban the owner of teraphim is spoken of as laban the aramean if as is probable the word in its root signification means nourishers or maintainers we may ask whom they were supposed to nourish or maintain from the fact that they are spoken of as being kept in houses genesis chapter thirty one verse nineteen judges chapter seventeen verse five first samuel chapter nineteen verses thirteen and sixteen it may be assumed that the family was under their care it would appear moreover that the father that is the head of the family looked upon them as belonging especially to him see genesis chapter thirty one verse nineteen rachel stole the teraphim which were her father's and in verse thirty wherefore hast thou stolen my gods that they are called gods is significant in judges chapter seventeen it is mika the head of the family who is the owner of the teraphim and the same may reasonably be assumed of david in first samuel chapter nineteen verses eleven through seventeen from these facts we are justified in seeing in the teraphim household gods and that their worship was in fact a remnant of ancestor worship it is interesting to note that josephus says that in mesopotamia it was the custom of the land for people to possess household gods and to bear them off when journeying though in later times teraphim were regarded with abhorrence second kings chapter twenty three verse twenty four zechariah chapter ten verse two 
yet in earlier days they were evidently a regular element in worship and no objection was taken to them judges chapter seventeen verse five hosea chapter three verse four and the other passages already cited in shape and appearance they looked like a man this seems clear from first samuel chapter nineteen verses thirteen and sixteen the special function of the teraphim besides that of protecting the family seems to have been their use in divining the future for they are mentioned several times in conjunction with the ephod so far we have dealt only with ancestor worship closely connected with this is the cult of the dead generally to this we must devote a separate chapter end of chapter eight